Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Kurt Truxas. I know that you guys are tracked into football right now. A lot of you are thinking about the Super Bowl tonight, right? Nobody? Oh, okay, okay. Kansas City? Kansas City people? Okay. Buccaneers? Oh, man. Oh, thank you. I have one Buck guy in the back there. I'm still going for Tom Brady. The quarterback that is closest to my age always gets my vote. That's the way it goes. Well, while you're tracked into football, I think many of us have sort of missed another important sport announcement that happened this past week. And that was the retirement of Matt Fraser. And I know a number of you are going, Matt Fraser, retirement? Like, who is that guy? We'll put Matt up there. That's Matt right there. He is an athlete. He competes in the CrossFit Games. And for those of you who don't know CrossFit, let me tell you a little bit about it. It's a combination of weightlifting, aerobics, and gymnastics. And it's designed to achieve what is to be the fittest people on the planet. In 2007, they began what is called the CrossFit Games, which brings people from around the world to compete to see who is the fittest person on earth. Now, um, seven years ago, Matt Fraser, the guy that you saw, he decided he'd compete in his first CrossFit Games. Um, he did pretty well. He took second in the world, first time out. And he took second in the world the second year he competed. And then for the last five years, he has been the number one fittest athlete in the entire world. Pretty crazy stuff. So this past week when he announced his retirement, many people were excited because finally somebody else will have a chance to be number one. And I thought about this. Uh, here's Matt Fraser. He is without question the most elite athlete, the pinnacle of physical fitness. And I said this provides a good lead-in for this morning's study in God's Word, because we're going to be talking here not about physical fitness, but what does elite spiritual fitness look like? How we can be healthy, how we can be strong and withstand immense amounts of pressure in this life through our healthy, fit relationship with Jesus Christ. So I hope at the end of this, this morning, you'll be a little more spiritually fit, or at least on the right path for that. For those of you who are just connecting with us a little bit, my, many, many of you have been here for a while, but some of you are new. As a church, we are studying our way through the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy is a, a short letter written by the Apostle Paul to a young man named Timothy. Timothy was somebody who traveled with Paul on and off for about 15 years. Paul had put Timothy in charge of a church called Ephesus. The church of Ephesus, we know, had become a very problematic and a very difficult church. And here was a young pastor trying to pastor a, a, a tough congregation that was divisive and divided. Paul, to encourage him and to help him, actually wrote what is in our Bibles, the, the letter of 1 Timothy, which instructed Timothy on how to bring order to that divided church. 
Shortly after that, uh, Paul was arrested for being a Christian. He was in prison. He was brought off to Rome. He's actually been tried and will soon be executed. And Paul decided to write a second letter to Timothy that we're studying today. In this second letter, the point is not how to bring order in the church, but how to encourage a very discouraged and weakened leader, Timothy. Timothy, how? Let me encourage you and help you to be faithful all the way to the end. This morning, we are actually beginning the second chapter of 2 Timothy. And in this chapter, Paul is really getting to what is the purpose of the letter, which is, Timothy, we need you to be strong under pressure. We need you to be able to handle a lot of the difficulties that you're going through. And think about the difficulties Timothy is facing. He has a very divided church he's trying to, to bring order to. Then also last week we learned that when Paul was arrested and brought to prison, there was a mass exodus of Christians in Asia from following him. They didn't want to be associated with him so they wouldn't be arrested like him. But they weren't just leaving Paul, they were leaving the gospel message itself. And there's a lot of pressure for Timothy to leave Paul and Timothy to leave the gospel. We also learned in the first week of our study that Nero, even though he was responsible for the great fire of Rome that burned down half the city, he blamed Christians for the great fire of Rome. So Timothy, as a Christian leader, is getting pressure from society, from Nero, who's blamed the Christians for the fire of Rome. He's getting pressure from the larger Christian community to leave the gospel and to leave Paul, and he has a difficult church on his hand. He has a lot of pressure he's facing. And so in this chapter, Paul begins this focus on how, Timothy, you can be strong under immense pressure. By the way, this chapter is specifically addressed to Christian leaders, really, and, and to Christian pastors, but don't think that means it's not applicable to all of us because you'll see so much of this is applicable to each one of us not just pastors and leaders so if you have your scriptures turn with me to second timothy chapter two i'm going to be reading the first seven verses i'd ask you to stand out of reverence for god's word and either follow along with your eyes and your copy of the scriptures or just listen along if you don't have a, a bible open right now and just hear the word of god Paul writes, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And it is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. You can be seated. Now, we see in the first verse is Paul is telling Timothy to be strong or to be strengthened. But then he gives us one command about how Timothy is to be strengthened. And then he gives us three metaphors 
about how Timothy will be, should be strengthened. So let's dive right in and look at these. First of all, let's look at this, uh, the charge. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul is not telling Timothy to be physically strong, like CrossFit strong. He's telling him to be spiritually strong. Be strengthened from the grace that comes in Christ Jesus. Now, that just rolls off the tongue, but what does it mean to be strengthened by the grace that comes from Christ Jesus? Let's break this apart and examine it. This little phrase, be strengthened, it's actually in the passive tense. That means he's not telling Timothy to just get a stiff upper lip. He's not telling Timothy to just try harder and to, you know, really work it out himself. He's saying, no, you put yourself in a position where God's power and God's strength can flow into your lives. Put yourself in a position where you realize you cannot rely in these tough times on just your own strength. You need to allow God's strength to flow into you. Now, Paul is speaking, I believe, from first-hand experience on the need that when you're under incredible stress and pressure, be in a position where God is the one who's strengthening you. And, I, and it came to mind as I thought about this is actually 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul talks about this experience in his own life. He says, for the sake of Christ then, I'm content with weaknesses, with insults, with hardships, with persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Now, what does Paul go on to say? He says, the strength when I am weak is not my own strength. It's when I am weakest that I find God's strength in me the strongest. So the weaker he, Paul became, the stronger Jesus Christ became in his life. And he says the same thing, Timothy, put yourself in a position that when you become weak, Jesus becomes strong in you. Now you wonder, how does that happen? How was Timothy to put himself in that position? And how are we to put ourselves in that position where God's strength flows into us in our weakest moments? I think there's two answers to this. There's the answer the text is going to give in a few moments that we'll dive into. But I think there's also a real basic answer that I don't want to ignore here at the front end. Which is we just need to be in a simple relationship with Christ. An active relationship with Christ. Where we're walking with Christ and listening to Christ. And that's the most basic way to have God's strength flow into us. For instance, let's talk about reading our Bibles. Isn't it true that when we take regular time to read our scripture, that sometimes when we're completely weak in those moments, the Holy Spirit just takes that word and applies it to our heart as if it was written directly to us? Anybody experience that? Isn't that God's power and strength flowing into our life in our times of weakness? Take the idea of prayer. Have you ever been at those times when you're filled with anxiety and brokenness and you call out to God in prayer and you're literally on your knees with tears running down your face, calling out to him, and when you're done praying, all of a sudden what the Bible talks about is the peace that passes understanding which guards your heart and mind and Jesus Christ has touched you. 
and you all of a sudden you know God's got this. He's got it under control. It's going to be okay. That's just from walking with Christ. It's the God's strength being in you. Other ways, being part of Christian community. Isn't it important that we meet together, that we encourage one another together? How about Bible memory or even just little verse meditation? Have you ever gone over a verse again and again and again in your heart and all of a sudden as you've gone over it 10 times, 20 times, the truth of what that verse actually means begins to soak into your heart and feed you in your life. That's being strengthened by God's grace in our times of weakness. I think of this truth is also not just in, Paul doesn't just talk about it in the New Testament. He doesn't just encourage Timothy at this time, but we find it in the Old Testament as well. I, I was thinking about this this week. Remember this verse? But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. The idea of waiting on the Lord is taking that time to be in regular communion with him and to seek him. And then God is the one who provides the strength in our time of weaknesses. So I want to begin with just some really good news because I, I know that this morning there are some people here who are just broken down. Some of you are struggling with wayward children. Some of you are struggling with COVID fatigue. Some of you are struggling with loneliness. Others of you are struggling with discouragement. Some of you are wrestling with the death of a spouse. Some of you are in the middle of difficult marriages. You have no more strength is what you're saying. But while you don't have strength, God has strength. And as you walk with him, he desires to pour his strength into your life. I just encourage you, open your Bible, put your finger in the text. Get on your knees and call out to God. He will strengthen you by his grace in ways that you will never be able to quantify, expect, or imagine. My friends, that is the basics of what it means to be strengthened by God's grace when we're in relationship with God and walking with him. Now what Paul will do here is he actually does not go over these basics. He goes into something a little bit more advanced, something that's a little bit more situation-specific for Timothy, who is a, a church pastor, a church leader. What are the things he needs to do to develop his spiritual strength in these tough times? This brings us to the rest of our outline. How do I develop my spiritual strength? And the first thing, this is what, what Paul says to Timothy, is I need to see myself as a teacher of teachers. We find that in 2 Timothy 2.2. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The key term here is this word, teach. Timothy is to teach the gospel message that he's heard from Paul to faithful men who will then be able to turn around and teach other faithful men. Timothy, you must not just see yourself as someone who is following Christ. You must see yourself as a teacher of teachers who are going to be able to share the gospel with the next generation for Christ. 
Timothy, your job is not just to be the next link in the spiritual chain, but to create the next link in the spiritual chain. This is how it works. The gospel began with Jesus Christ, who entrusted it to the apostles, who entrusted it to someone else, who entrusted it to someone else. We have to always think of, how about that next generation? At home, uh, right next to my desk, in my home office, just to the left of me, I have up there uh, framed a, a confirmation certificate. Uh, go ahead and put that up there. This is, I just took a picture of it. That's what it looks like. It's a little bit old. I don't know if you notice that. This is one of my relatives. And it was just the fact that she was confirmed uh, in a church. And the reason I have it up there is, do you notice the date on that? Go ahead and put the date up there. That is the date this thing was written. 1882. And here's why I keep it up there. It's a reminder that I am so blessed to come from a family of Christians. Seven generations ago, the first Truxes who came to America was a Christian. Actually, he planted a church. And then he told his children about Jesus Christ, who then told their children about Jesus Christ. One of those children was that confirmation certificate who then told their children about Jesus Christ, all the way on down to my parents, who were Christians, who had the gospel shared with them, who shared the gospel with me. And I'm realizing that, you know, I'm just another link in the chain. And my job is not just to be a link in the chain, but my job is to make the next link in the chain, to tell the gospel to my children to constantly build them up in Christ. That's how I'm to view myself. And that's what Paul says to Timothy. You must view yourself as a man who is not just being faithful to Christ, but must make the next link of the generation of Christ. Another way you can think of it is the, the gospel is like a relay race. You know, in a relay race, you run as hard as you can, but only for your lap. You can't run somebody else's lap. You must pass the baton to the next generation and allow them the chance to run. Which is, by the way, here at Crosswinds, we often hear this phrase that we are about reaching people with Jesus. You know why? Because we want to pass the baton to the next generation. The church is only one generation away from extinction, which is why it's not about us. The best thing we can do is get the baton in the hand of the next generation and help them run well. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. This is why the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable men who are able to teach. Make sure you pass the baton. Last week we learned that one of the most important things Christian leaders can do is protect the truth. We make sure that the gospel message is always proclaimed as it's by faith alone, by grace alone, by Jesus alone. Don't let anyone change that truth. But here we learn that the other thing that Christian leaders must do is not just protect the truth, but they must pass the truth on to the next generation. Incidentally, uh, Paul is not talking here about the public teaching of Scripture. 
such as I'm doing with you right now. Notice what Paul is telling Timothy to do. To find a small group of faithful, trustworthy men who will be able to teach, pull them aside, and invest your life in them. Don't just assume they'll be leaders in the next generation. You build and help create the leaders of the next generation. That is your responsibility. And I just want to be honest with you guys and tell you, as I was wrestling with that this week, I felt like as a pastor, that's one thing I haven't done a good job on. I'm just being honest. I mean, I've tried to give myself to the public teaching, the public proclamation of the word. And by the way, Paul's going to talk to Timothy about that being an important thing a little later in this book. But here, it's not talking about the public teaching. It's grabbing a small group of men who are faithful and pouring your lives into them and developing the next generation of leaders. And that's one of the things that I've, I'm going to try and take and work on in my life as an application of my, the sermon as I, and the text as I wrestle with it. Let me look at a few of the qualities he said must be in these men. These men. Invest my life into faithful men. Another uh, way to translate the word faithful is the word trustworthy. Men who are of proven spiritual character, who are loyal to the word. Because nobody wants to invest their life into somebody and put all that time and all the energy and find they're unreliable and flighty. That doesn't work, does it? I think about this. I think about when I was a youth pastor. I had some uh, kids in the youth group that were super gifted. One guy was super gifted, but if I told him to walk across the room, he could not do it in a straight line. It's always like this, you know, constantly distracted. And I remember investing in him, and he interned with me as, as, a, as a youth pastor, and a lot of hope and potential. But then when it was all done, walked away. I have no idea where he is right now. Huge amounts of potential, but no trustworthiness. No faithfulness, no stick to no reliability. So Paul says, you be careful about who you invest yourself into. Find faithful, trustworthy, reliable men. The other thing he says is invest your life into men who will be able to teach. Well, faithful and trustworthy talks about someone's character. Able to teach talks about their giftedness. And by the way, this is encouraging because it doesn't say people who can already teach. It says people who will be able to teach. So you're looking here for people who are not perfect, but people here who have good raw material, who will ultimately be able to become teachers of others. Now, you wonder, okay, this is all about what Timothy needs to do to be strengthened by God's grace. This is true, this is good, but how does becoming a teacher of teachers actually strengthen Timothy? And I thought about this for a while, and what came to mind is this. You know, when you are a teacher, you learn more than the students. When you are a teacher or a preacher, God works more deeply in your heart than he ever does in the students. What you try to give away to others is what you actually keep in your heart. What you keep to yourself and don't give away to others ends up being what you ultimately lose. Isn't that true? If you read a book, you can read a book and forget a book. 
But if you read a book and have to teach that book, you remember that book. And this is sort of the benefit for Timothy. Timothy, by building into other young men, God will actually use it to build you up and to strengthen you. Now, I promised you that we wouldn't just rifle this down to pastors or elders. We would see how this applies to all of us. And it certainly does. Because the truth is that building the next generation of leaders isn't just for a pastor or for an elder. It's for all of us in what we do. I'll mention this, that here at Crosswinds, we have something called the Crosswinds Fingerprint. You guys know about it. It has seven points. The fifth point of the Crosswinds Fingerprint is this. It's what makes us unique. We believe called us, God called us not just to be disciples, but to make disciples. We're not just to be spiritual consumers, but every single one of us should be developing others, passing the baton to somebody else. So if you're in Awana, you know, what you end up doing is you don't just do the job with Awana, but you end up trying to build other Awana leaders around you, build the next generation. You're in youth group, you try and build the next generation of youth group leaders around you. And when you help build that next generation of leaders, God actually works more in you than he ever does in them. This is a pretty cool thing. So, to become strong in Christ, number one, we have to see ourselves as teachers of teachers, not just spiritual consumers, but developing the next generation. The next thing he does is he gives us three metaphors that Timothy needs to think about himself in a different way. And it's this, I am to see myself as a soldier. He says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So there's our soldier. I think he's coming up. There he is. Tried to have some graphics for you guys. Now, if Paul says to Timothy, you need to see yourself as a soldier, you know what this implies. Timothy, we're not living in peacetime. We are living in wartime. Which means, as a pastor, guess what? You better be expecting hardship. Expect sacrifice. Expect frontline difficulty. That's normal. No one signs up to be a soldier and goes to the front line with a lazy boy and a video game controller. It's not that way. You go to the front line to battle, to fight, and it's difficult. In fact, he says, because you're a soldier, number one, make sure you do not get entangled in civilian pursuits. So if we're a Christian, and this is especially true for Timothy, who's a pastor, he says, be careful about entangling yourself in civilian things. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean you can't watch a movie? Does that mean you can't go to a sports game? Absolutely not. What it means is this. We have to be careful how involved we become with the pastimes, hobbies, and things of this world. Because if we become too involved with those things, it helps, it makes us drift off mission and we become ineffective soldiers for Christ in this life. The key word is the word entangle. 
Entangle literally means to weave together into one fabric in the sense of making a hairball <laughs> or like a, a big knot where you take forever to try and pull it apart. He says, Timothy, as a pastor, be careful how much time of other things in this world you weave into your life that will slow you down from being a pastor for Jesus because we're at war. By the way, Soldiers are not part-time employees. You don't say to a soldier, say, you can't shoot me right now, I'm not on the clock. I mean, you're a full-time employee with a full-time job, and Satan is trying to destroy you. Don't allow yourself to be distracted by that. As I was writing this, what came to mind is the pastor of a church, uh, where I used to pastor in a different town, different time, there was a large downtown church, and I knew the pastor there. And as I talked to him, he was a real nice guy. But he had this really strange gig that he had going. He had you know, a certain number of days off each week. And what he did is he said, well, Thursday at 5 o'clock, I go off the clock. He came to work usually on Thursdays with his Jeep packed. 5 o'clock came, he got in his Jeep, and he drove up to his hunting and fishing cabin where he was Thursday night, all day Friday, all day Saturday. He showed up on Sunday morning to preach the sermon, and then he took the rest of Sunday off and returned to work on Monday. I'm like, how do you find time to do this? I mean, church work is far busier for me than apparently it is for you. Let me just tell you how it ended up with him. It didn't go well. He didn't last long because for him, he saw church work as part-time work, not full-time work. He didn't realize that he signed up to be a soldier who is always on duty, who is always needed, who is always in the battle. You can't just say don't shoot at certain times. Now, I said I, this doesn't just apply to pastors because it directly applies to me but, and to other elders, but it applies to all of us. Satan is after every one of us. He's after all of us at all times. And he wants to entangle us in distracting things that will ultimately make us ineffective as a soldier for Jesus in our time and our generation. I think this is a real challenge right now, especially for the 20-year-olds, because they struggle a lot with, you have this thing called social media, you have this thing called the internet, you have this thing called YouTube, and they can find themselves pouring just gobs of time into these things that are just a waste of time. And at the end of the day, they've become completely ineffective. They've become sidelined as a soldier for Jesus. Now, understand, I'm not saying that the Internet is evil in itself or YouTube is wrong in itself. I'm not saying those things. It's just how much are you entangling yourself in those things to slow you down? So not only is a good soldier for Christ not to entangle themselves in things that would distract them, they're to be an excellent soldier. If you notice, he says a good soldier. And the word for good here is interesting. It means noble or excellent. It's not a soldier that goofs off. It's literally the kind of soldiers that, ha that has all kinds of medals pinned to their chest for honor, for valor, for hard work, 
for integrity, for purple hearts. That's the kind of soldiers we are to be for Jesus Christ. Not just happen to get our job done, but did a really good job when we served Christ. He also says, as a soldier, I am to take my share of sufferings. That goes back to what we talked about earlier. Expect difficulty. Expect hard times. Expect that Satan will try to ruin your life. We're in a war. Remember Ephesians chapter 6, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers in the heavenly realms. And also he talks about that's why we put on the full armor of God. We are in a battle. Some people think that when they become a Christian that that means that all their problems are going to go away in their life. I don't think so. You become a Christian, that means Satan's going to start shooting at you in your life because you're in a war. Another one I should mention here, he says, as a soldier, we are to please our commanding officer. Now, I don't have any military background, but I do have some athletic background. I wrestled, and it was so much fun to wrestle. And I can tell you, when I was thinking about what it means to please your commanding officer, I think at times on the wrestling mat, where you went out against the opponent that you were supposed to lose to. And there was full three periods, and sometimes overtime, of going back and forth, battling with that opponent. And you actually beat them after a ton of blood, sweat, and tears. And you turned to get off that mat, and you looked at your coach's face. The smile on his face for the battle that was fought and the battle that was won made all the hard work worth it. To please your coach. I can remember it to this day with an impact that made on my life. And what Paul says to Timothy, your commanding officer is Jesus Christ. Think about what it's going to be like the day you see him and the smile on his face with how you lived for him in the midst of the battle that you are in. Think of yourself as a soldier, Timothy, because you are, and you're at war. Please your commanding officer. He says, you also have to see myself as an athlete. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules, it says. And go ahead and put my athlete picture up there. There's our athlete for the day. By the way, Paul talks a lot about athletics. And Roland, when you gave that email this week, I loved that. Because Paul loves to talk about it. Ephesians chapter 6, he talks about wrestling. Uh, it 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he talks about boxing. He talks about running. And he says this, Timothy, you're an athlete. Think of yourself as competing and doing your absolute best for Christ. And here's my point. I'm to give my best in training for Christ and in living for Christ. Athletics are about effort, not just talent. Some people have talent, but they don't put in effort. And if you have talent, but you don't put effort, you don't win. And effort and training doesn't just go in the event. It goes before the event. And athletes train and they put in tons of effort because they want to win the prize. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. If you realize that you're an athlete, you're competing for a prize. You'll do your best training before the event and giving your full effort in the event. When you say, there's a prize? As Christians, I thought we just died and go to heaven. No, there is a prize, folks. We're saved by grace through faith. 
but we're rewarded by Jesus Christ when we stand before him based on how we lived for him, how we competed for him in this life. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things, They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable wreath. I talked about being in sports, and it involves training before the event, and it involves hard work and effort in the event. Well, what is training before the event for Christians? Your personal quiet time, when you choose to read God's word. Your personal prayer time, when you choose to talk to God. These are not publicly seen. These are all privately done. Even when you choose to read a a healthy, honoring Christian book to build you up in Christ, these are all things that help prepare you for the event. They are not the event itself. Well, what is the event? And here's what the event is that we compete in. It's called everyday life. How do we live for Jesus, especially when difficult times come our way? Anybody ever have a a neighbor that becomes irritating? Jesus says, but love your neighbor as yourself. How we love that irritating neighbor is how we actually live for Christ. You ever have someone who actually hurt you really deeply, disappointed you greatly? Jesus says, we forgive them like we've been forgiven. Will we do that in real life, in everyday life? That's the competition. That's the event. We forgive because we're actually going to be rewarded for how well we've done. So God wants to reward us based on how we live. And we're athletes. We live hard for Christ. We put our full effort in for Christ. But he says this, By the way, I am to compete according to the rules if I want to obtain that reward. Cheaters, though, never win. No blood doping. No steroids. (laughs) That'll disqualify you from the prize, not gain you the prize. You guys remember Ben Johnson? Some of you from the 80s, showing my age. Yeah, Ben Johnson, the Canadian sprinter. 100-yard dash, world record, wins the, I think it's the 1988 Olympic, 100-meter gold. Three days later, lost it all. Failed the steroid test. And by the way, if you study Ben Johnson, that was not the, the first or the last time he failed the steroid test and lost a medal. Lost it all because he didn't compete according to the rules. Now, it says this in 2 John verse 8. Watch yourself so that you may not lose what you have worked for, but may win a full reward. The idea is that there can be people who compete very well for Jesus Christ in this life, who make a big impact for Christ, but they cheat, as it were. They don't compete according to the rules, and ultimately they lose some of their reward. You say, well, what does that look like in real life? I'll give you an example. Are any of you familiar with Ravi Zacharias? You've heard of him? Incredibly gifted man. Done, did an amazing amount of good things for the kingdom. For 40 years had Ravi Zacharias ministry. 
30 books he wrote. Um, did all kinds of good stuff. And recently, you know, he came down with cancer and he passed away of cancer and greatly saddens me and much of the Christian community. But before he passed away, some strange allegations began to come out. Like in 2017, that he had an inappropriate texting relationship with another woman. And he seemed to answer for those. But then after he died, there were multiple women who came forward and accused him of multiple sexual improprieties. And I thought, well, that just can't be true. If you follow that story, you know that Rabbi Zacharias Ministries has been investigating it. And their latest is that, by the way, <laughs> that is true. I thought, here's a man who's competed so well for Jesus Christ. What an amazing athlete for Jesus, who without doubt is now going to lose some of the reward he earned, like Ben Johnson having to give up a gold medal from the 100-yard dash. That's what Paul says. Think of yourself as an athlete, but compete according to the rules. He also says, I'm to see myself as a farmer. It's the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share, he says, of the crops. In other words, I am to expect long hours and hard work where the results are only seen over time. Go ahead, Jeremy, and put up my farmer picture since we're using photos today. Farmers work long hours, and thankfully farmers have life a little better now. Still hard work, but there's these things called tractors and hydraulics, which I think are an amazing invention. But put yourself into Paul's world, before tractors, before hydraulics, where you had to hoe the weeds yourself, where you had to plant the crops yourself, from sunup to sundown, tireless work, hard work. At the end of the day, usually no paycheck until the end of the season. And he says, Timothy, you don't just need to think of yourself like a soldier that's always at war. You don't just need to think of yourself like an athlete who must always give his best effort, knowing that Jesus will ultimately reward you. But think of yourself like a farmer. Hard work, long hours, oftentimes behind the scenes, watering the crops by hand, or in, sometimes as a pastor's case, preaching the word week in, week out, not really seeing much results, but over time, at the end of the season, that's when you finally see your harvest. What is the harvest for pastors? It's a group of people, the congregation of the church, who are walking with Christ, who are faithful to Christ, who are in love with Christ. That makes the long hours and the hard work all worth it. And the reward as he says here, the reward of the farmer receives is sharing is being in the first share of the harvest of new Christians. So let me sum this up. Timothy, be strengthened by God's grace. When you become weak, put yourself in the position where God's grace and God's Holy Spirit makes you strong. In particular, I need to give you one challenge, he says. Be a teacher who develops other teachers. Because when you're teaching, that's when God is often ministering to you the most. Also, he says, see yourself as a soldier. Remember you're in a battle. Expect to get shot at. Expect hard times. Just don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. 
see yourself as an athlete. Do your absolute best for Jesus, knowing that you'll be rewarded for Jesus. And see yourself as a farmer. Expect long hours. Expect hard work. Don't even expect to see a paycheck maybe in the immediate future. But your paycheck comes in the distant future at the end of the growing season where you'll see a harvest of next generation Christians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would help us uh, to be men and women who are developing other teachers, men and women who see themselves as soldiers in a battle, athletes in a competition, and farmers doing the tedious, long, hard work of planting a crop of new believers for another generation. Well, Father, as we get ready for communion and we get ready to celebrate the, the Lord's Supper together, we ask that you would just work in our hearts, that you would help us to be men and women who want to become strong, not on our own strength, but by your strength flowing through us. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Kurt's sermons can be found online at ChristToOurCulture.com. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.